You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Just a quick note before we get started. Actually, it's more like a recommendation, because this podcast is a sonic fantasy, and what you're about to hear is best experienced with headphones on, imagination on, and everything else turned off. Welcome to Abandoned the All-American Ruins Podcast. The first thing I see is a hill. It swoops up lazily, sandwiched between a sad grove of trees and an empty field. It looks like it's headed nowhere. Ironic, since that's how I've felt for the past two months. At the bottom of the hill stands a sign. It reads, The hill above was the location of a Cold War early warning radar site, built as part of a system designed to defend the United States against enemy air attacks. This feels staged. Am I going to a protected monument? Is this a museum? But I reach the top of the hill and quickly realize my presumptuous thoughts are in error. The base appears almost out of thin air, unassuming. I can't really see any complete buildings except a small gatehouse that sits behind a tattered chain-link fence adorned with rusting barbed wire. I laugh because there's a large gap between the bottom of the gate and the ground. I drop onto the gravel and concrete and roll in. As my face smudges up against the bottom of the fence and my back scratches the dusty ground, I think two things. One, I am an octopus. And two... Did I just catch COVID-19? We are at the beginning of a pandemic, after all, and this is my first time exploring any abandoned space since I was a kid, taking weekly trips to the abandoned dairy farm down the hill from my house, which you can hear more about in episode one. I stand up to face another giant incline. It swerves up in a circular motion, boasting several decaying buildings that are tucked into the hillside. I couldn't see them from behind the fence because of all the thick brush. Then I think to myself, there are ghosts on this road. It's Memorial Day weekend, 2020 and I can feel the spirits of airmen all around me. I glance to my right at the crumbling gatehouse. It's engulfed in vines and decades, 
sporting shattered windows and metal awnings hanging on by the skin of their teeth. I poke my head inside. The walls are soaked in graffiti. I will come to realize that this is a defining characteristic of most of the abandoned wreckages that I will explore, an old hobby from my childhood that I've reprocured to escape the spiritual devastation of the COVID-19 pandemic. I've taken refuge in abandoned spaces, where my imagination can run wild and heal me during this chaotic moment. Even though the graffiti tags aren't for me, I read each and every piece, as if it's a love note addressed to me, usually out loud, a way of summoning the ghost of the artist. This graffiti simply says, I love you, Radar Road, spray-painted on top of the crinkly and moldy teal-blue paint that maintains much of its original, emboldened palette. Seeing the color releases a flood of butterflies, or serotonin, into my stomach, and I think I am a spy, peeking into the past. I am a time-traveling window shopper. I am a fly on the wall. I note a tan speaker scrunched up in the upper backhand corner of the gatehouse. I hear the commander making today's announcements. It's 1965, at least in my imagination, and a new watch shift has begun. A group of fresh-faced cadets enters the gatehouse, grumbling that they have to work into the night. The guards, who are retiring from the previous 12-hour post, yip and yap about going out tonight. <laughs> I don't remember what going out feels like. So I leave the gatehouse, following my newly freed comrades, and I turn around and look back at the chain link and barbed wire entrance again, and I see my ten-year-old self standing on the other side, shooing me onward with pride and excitement, this moment effectuating my failed plans from youth to sneak onto the Air Force base bordering my childhood neighborhood. Growing up, I thought I lived in the Wild West. Miles and miles of open, mountainous territory where it was nearly impossible not to get lost. Long, extensive days where just a little bit of wandering could lead to a full-blown adventure. There was, of course, the abandoned dairy farm. There was the giant, vacant lot of dirt and weeds down the hill on one side of my house that I transformed into a movie lot where I could produce short films with my friends on sunny Sunday afternoons after church using my father's old Panasonic. There was Mount St. Francis, a mystifying, coveted holy land, site of a former tuberculosis sanatorium jutted between massive ridges of sandstone in a vast valley surrounded by forest on all sides where I talked to God and spied on nuns who floated aimlessly like phantoms around the property. I made tree trunk rubbings on computer paper with broken crayons and collected decaying pine cones and small fragments of granite and drew my name into the plots of gravel that dotted the property. Then, 
There was the imposing United States Air Force Academy, the southern border fence, complete with signs that said things like, No trespassing. Property of the United States government. I never would have dared to cross that line. I imagined secret agents had set up security cameras up and down the border, creating a lifetime of invented curiosities about what they were hiding on the other side. Planes flew overhead at all hours of the day. Like traffic becomes a noise big city natives get used to, the drone of aircrafts up above was a large chunk of the soundscape from my childhood. I never actually broke into the United States Air Force Academy. There was no need. My brother attended high school on the base. As a family, we went to Air Force Academy football games and hiked on the public trails and watched fireworks on the hill next to the cadet house where I sang the national anthem at my high school graduation. So the idea of breaking onto USAFA was more about the rebellion I've always seen a fence and thought, hop it, instead of stay on this side of it. Or like at Saratoga Springs Air Force Base, slide underneath it. I wink at my 10-year-old self as I start to climb the hill and wander around the property, and more ghosts start to appear. They're swirling all around me as I enter what appears to be a service garage. The only good light making its way into the room is from three busted windows on the single closed overhead door, barely enough to take a good photograph. I notice a sad hoop attached to the back wall, and I hear a lone basketball dribbling, men scuffling. But the sound dies quickly as I gaze my eyes on the real centerpiece in the room. A limited edition 1983 Buick LeSabre. Buick, you're looking at the LeSabre Limited Sedan. I'm confused because I know that the property was abandoned in 1979, but this car was manufactured in the early 80s. So, who left this here? But whichever model you choose, your new LeSabre represents high value in a traditional full-sized... This only means one thing. I'm not the first to enter, and hopefully I won't be the last. The driver's side is open. I trepidatiously approach the vehicle and sit in the driver's seat, covered in mold, which doesn't faze me. The interior reeks of old leather. I remember a cobbler on 7th Avenue in Chelsea when I still lived in Manhattan. His shop smelled like this. I inhale the scent of my father's 1993 Geo Metro comes in, musty seat fabric and day-old chili in a coffee mug. I put my hands on the wheel. It's warm as if someone just let go of it. I like how my fingers feel wrapped around the firm leather. There's an ancient car phone. I drag my pointer finger along the rubber buttons on the side of the walloping artifact. Then, I dial my childhood home phone number. Whatever happened to house phones? I imagine the illicit or embarrassing conversations that once passed through this device. I leave the car in the garage and enter an adjoining office, where the ceiling is caving in. There are piles of objects, 
boasting the kind of once-prized possessions that you'd see lined up on shelves at Goodwill. Books, cassettes, VHS tapes, magazines, trophies, Little League t-shirts, likely all abandoned with the car. So why did they choose to dump it all here? And how did they get this shit through the gates and up the hill this far? I hear airmen gossiping about their wives. The faux wood paneling indicates exactly when this office was bustling with activity, straight out of a late 60s office drama. I exit the building and look up. And the sky is so blue. I remember that it's Memorial Day. This is how I choose to honor the dead, by exploring the worksite where they used to protect the country from missiles. I think about the bomb drills my mom told me about. Classrooms full of kids across the country, diving under their desks, as if those flimsy pieces of metal and wood would protect them from a giant missile. I remember a video I saw called Duck and Cover, Propaganda produced by the Federal Civil Defense Administration in 1951, starring an impish turtle named Bert, who, as the title suggests, ducks and covers when he feels impending doom falling from the skies. I close my eyes as duck and cover rings out across the property through all of the speakers echoing down the hill bound for the Hudson River. The Russians are coming. Hide. Duck and cover. This is an official civil defense film produced in cooperation with the Federal Civil Defense Administration. I see a defunct security camera hanging over the front doors of what appears to be an administration building. I don't know much about the Cold War. One time I went to see a movie with my mom about the Cuban Missile Crisis. What has violence ever accomplished? I know that I'm supposed to think that Bobby Kennedy was a hero, but can't remember why. What has it ever created? No martyr's cause has ever been stilled by an assassin's bullet. That was the Cold War, right? No wrongs have ever been righted. I approach another building. The flames of a fire have hollowed it leaving only a structural skeleton made up of nothing more than charred pipes, cinder blocks. I find an old bicycle. I scour the entire body, searching for a manufacturer to help me understand the story behind this place. And nothing. And it's in this particular moment that I suddenly realize that I feel safe and calm. Even though I'm one of the billions of people living through this pandemic where death feels like it's constantly on the horizon, right now, at this moment, I feel very far away from any virus trying to kill me. I have discovered a sanctuary today. This abandoned radar station was constructed to protect citizens of the United States from the potential threats of the Cold War. Are they constructing something similar, somewhere, to protect U.S. citizens from the very real threats of COVID-19? Do they have a plan yet? I look back up at the blue sky and imagine sirens blaring out across the country each time another person is infected or dies from COVID-19 the way they would have rung out 
if Russia decided to fire a missile, years ago, bound for American soil. I remind myself once again that it's Memorial Day, 24 hours of silence to honor the dead who lay down their lives in the line of active duty. And I decide that in addition to paying my respects to our military heroes, on this Memorial Day I will honor the dead who my country has turned its back on. I choose to recognize a modern-day Cold War that the American government has waged against its own citizens through silence and misinformation. But unlike the first Cold War, this is not an invisible fight. By this time, May 25th, 2020, there are over 100,000 casualties. The only thing that's invisible is the enemy itself, floating through and contaminating the air all around us. So, maybe the real enemy is the administration, who's decided that they're not going to fight. They say, there is no enemy. Here I stand in these burned out buildings on an abandoned military base in Stillwater, New York, just outside of Saratoga Springs. And I feel safe. I am lucky and deeply fortunate to feel safe. The sun pokes through the holes in the ceiling and presses against my skin. My lungs, constantly craving fresh air, expand as I breathe in. I can get through this. I walk back outside. Tall weeds surround this building, and I have to power through them to get back to the gravel and concrete path. But as quickly as this moment of serenity appears, it dissolves. My imagination takes a hard left turn as I step back onto the road. Duck and cover begins to blare out over the loudspeakers again, and I look around frantically. You may be in your schoolyard playing when the signal comes. That signal means to stop whatever you are doing and get to the nearest safe place fast. Always remember, the flash of an atomic bomb can come at any time, no matter where you may be. The cacophony of the song starts to build, and I see the ghosts are following orders, ducking and covering, and I panic. I don't know if this is a drill or if this is the real thing. I begin to run back down the hill, back to my car. I stoop and roll underneath the fence and turn over my shoulder and look back as I reach for the car door handle, and then... Silence. The music has stopped. The bass is still. The pandemonium of the Radar Hill soldiers and civilians has suspended, and I can't see any ghosts. I peer up and spot an antenna tower at the top of another hill. I missed it when I entered. I send up an imaginary signal to anyone who can hear it, 
blasting a message through the radio waves that billow off the tower like silent music. It is my prayer for the fallen. I may never come back here again. But I do. I go back weeks after Russia invades Ukraine. As I meander through the cold winter air, I think about my mom's description of the Cold War. A big old pissing match, a staring contest between the United States and Russia. And the United States made Russia blink, she said. And now, the entire world is in a staring contest with Russia. And Russia made us blink. If you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome to the first season of Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast. Join me every other week as I take you on a sonic journey, recounting my expeditions of abandoned spaces across the United States and transforming them into fantastical audio experiences that allow you, dear listener, to dive into my imagination with me, or maybe inspire you to go out and use your own. In two weeks... My lifelong dream of exploring the set of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining comes true, sort of, as I take you into the monolith of abandoned spaces, the Nevely Grand Resort in Ellenville, New York, and who knows, maybe the spirit of Shelley Duvall will join us. It's bound to be beyond your wildest dreams, so just to make sure you don't miss it, I will ask politely that you rate, review, and subscribe so I can keep feeling the fantasy with you. And if you like to read or enjoy amateur photography, you can also catch up on more of my adventures at allamericanruins.com or follow me on Instagram at allamericanruins. Abandoned, the All American Ruins podcast is hosted and produced by me, Blake File, with engineering and mixing courtesy of Radio Kingston, WKNY in Kingston, New York. 